are going to pick up where we left off and move from Genesis into Exodus. Oh. Exodus is a good story, too. Good. All right. So what did you all do last week? We did a one-off last week, and we talked about the uh, the reading from the Sunday before. Oh, uh-huh. Um, or actually this Sunday, too, which was uh, chapter 12 of Luke and Jesus. Probably the hardest words of Jesus in all of the Gospels are the 12th chapter of Luke. It talks about bringing a, bringing a sword and not bringing peace and telling the disciples to sell all their goods. It's, right. it's difficult, difficult right. material for us. So we looked at that last week while we, but then we sort of came to a consensus to go back to a book, and I figured the story continues from Genesis Sounds good into tonight. Exodus. And because we're in the Old Testament, there will be names. We'll just all do our best to <laughs> pronounce them. That's right. Oh, I got to tell you, uh, Gail's doing somewhat better. Good. I think she's still in the emergency. Who is John's two-bottomer. <clears throat> John's uh, ex-wife, who had the stroke right before the funeral of the boy. John's Merrick's friend. Right. Yeah. Well, why don't we start with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Heavenly Father, on this day we lift up to you, Gail, in her time of need. Send your Holy Spirit of comfort and of healing to be with her and to provide for her. Send your Holy Spirit also to be with us as we open up your word and continue in the story of faith that we find here in the book of Exodus. Help us to follow along and to come to better understanding of your love for your people in that time and in all time as we read the words and as they stir our hearts. All this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, I'll take the first bunch here. Yes, you got all the names. Exodus chapter 1. I think these are easy. Mm, let's yeah, see. These, are. these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But, more, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sephra, and the other Hua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. 
and if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So that the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the mid dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. All right, just as the start of the story here, um, I'm going to close this in case more people come in and pay for parking. Um, not too cryptic, of course, what's going on here, but obviously Joseph had found sight, had found favor in the sight of the Pharaoh. Um, and what's interesting is what's changed in their relationship between the Egyptians and the Israelites? Or what, what causes the Egyptians to oppress them? They're afraid. Yeah, they're afraid of them. And it, this, it's actually kind of a shame in a lot of ways, um, obviously, but it's a shame because it's not, the Israelites didn't do anything. All they did was mu multiply and live, right? Um, and it's, it's kind of a good starting lesson in this about fear of others. And you know, it's sort of that strike them first before they get a chance to do something bad to us mentality. <coughs> um, but obviously... I don't know if this was a whole a pharaoh regime and some new pharaoh came, you know, because the other ones had fought and this sort of thing and lost. Because that's the case... In Egypt, I mean, there's lots of new regimes. Oh, if it were an overthrow. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there would have been that sort of history, too. Um, so that won't have been passed down. That's a, that's a really interesting point about the history of it. That it could have been, you know, obviously it gives us the time emphasis that the whole generation that was known to them as being, you know, the, the Israelites that were liked by the Pharaoh, that whole generation has died, and, and now a new Pharaoh rises up, right? So... Mary, that's a good point. It could be that past knowledge isn't passed down to them about these folks being good, good for good for your country, good for this or good for that. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the really interesting things too, I think, is this line about when Egyptian when the pharaohs admonishing the the midwives um, about. Uh, about what they haven't been doing and killing the male, the male children. They say that the Israelite women are not like your Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the, before the midwife even arrives. Um, and whether that's just a, a lie as an excuse or whether it's, uh, it's actually the truth, you get this picture of the Egyptians, I think, which mirrors a lot of what we still see um, in sort of what you might call like the developed world versus um, the still developing parts of the world, where you have this culture that's um, wealthy and, and cosmopolitan, especially compared to the Israelites, right? They, they're, they're doing very well. Um, and if the, if the Israelites are still having kids, and this is a threat, why would the, 
I think you can assume something about the Egyptians. Maybe they're having less kids, which is interesting that it's that long ago. We don't think about it in the same way, but even now, cultures with economies that continue to grow wealthier, uh, the child production rate gets knocked down. And especially the further your family unit or the society moves away from sort of agrarian necessity, people to go work the fields and work the farm, the less kids you tend to have. So you get this picture of not only is it a, you know, a native versus immigrant thing, it also seems to be a cosmopolitan sort of well-to-do, well-off society in comparison to the Israelites who are not part of that sort of upper crust. Well, you know, I think I'll bring something up. Um, a few years ago, they did this study about who were the, the healthiest men mm-hmm. in the country. They came to be the middle-aged farmers. Sure. They're doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the women, they were, well, we don't know what they did. Uh, They're vigorous, though. Yeah. And so they were probably also, so they may have been healthier more likely to be able to carry the babies and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, so these are the instructions from Pharaoh. Let's go from uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Someone's picked that up. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took a wife, daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a a goodly child, she hid him for three months. And when she could not hide him no longer, she took for him a basket and made bulrushes and dubbed it uh, with petunium uh, and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the river bank. And the sister stood at the distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her baby was walked beside the river. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and lo, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women? to nurse the child for you. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses. But she said, because I drew you out of the water. Mm-hmm. Is that what we want to stop there? Yeah, let's pause there. Um, so, house-wise, what house is, is Moses born into? Levi. So, this isn't a thing yet, but remember, these, like in Genesis, the histories are written as histories, but also with knowledge of what has transpired since. So, does anyone remember what's particular about the descendants of Levi? What their job is? They're the scribes. I think they're the priests. Oh, they are? They're the priesthood class. Yeah. So not yet, obviously, but 
So he's born, so if you're hearing this, you know, even just hundreds or thousands of years, once this history is unfolded, you're gonna hear he's from the house of Levi, you're already gonna have this impression, right? Yeah. He's born into the priestly priestly caste that will be for the one of, for the Israelites. That's one of the highest. I don't know if there's one that belongs to the Levi. Uh, yeah, and it's not. But it's it's not necessarily a caste system in the same. I mean, it's that's their job. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure they'd be viewed as the leave. Some might view it as their hire, so to speak. But it's it's more just you're going to do what you're going to do in that line. That's what you've been assigned to do. Like I said, obviously that's not the case yet, but so Moses is going to be, he's born in this priestly line, even though the priestly line hasn't been established yet through through, through the Levites. Um, let's see. Where is he placed? With the Pharaoh's daughter. Well, no. When he's... Well, after, back, back with his, with his real mother. No, no, no. Before that, the basket scene. The oh, famous... Oh, the bulrushes. In the bulrushes or the reeds, right? Yeah. So sometimes there's, a, sometimes you see he's more placed in the water. It says here he's placed he's placed in the reeds, um, but the reeds obviously kind of grow in a swampy sort of. It's not reeds often grow where it's not quite land and it's not quite water, um, and that's going to have a tie-in to the name that he's given. And it, it's, his, it's his Egyptian name, really, but it remains his name, meaning what? He came from the water. He came from the water. So. So he came from the Nile. He came. He came from the water. All right. Let's leave it to that. It's early on, but we know the story of Moses. Mm -hmm. Where does water play out in Moses' life? Parting the sea. So the parting of the sea, and what's really interesting is there is some it's not just analogous or close in English but even within I suppose the Hebrew I've been told there's kind of this tie in between the red and the reed see um, it sounds very close in English but it, it's also actually something that exists so some have said that maybe it was actually a parting of the reeds um, and that, that they kind of went through a, a, a very tall patch of reeds and that's how they lose the Egyptian army. But the classic story, and I think the one it's really emphasizing is the, the parting of the sea, right? But he comes from the water. He's going to have this sea moment later on. So he's, there's, this, there's this tie into the water, into the reeds already. Um, the other thing is once they're wandering around in the desert, do you remember? People are casting his rod to get water. Yeah, striking the rock to get water, right? So there's these, these little, so his, his very name um, has implications about his relationship to water already. Let's see, anything else here? Yeah, obviously they place him back with, um, with his mother until he goes to live with, quote, a daughter of Pharaoh. Um, and that's always been somewhat ambiguous, whether that means an actual daughter of Pharaoh or... An Egyptian woman. He obviously winds up in proximity to the family, but whether it's truly Pharaoh's daughter or whether that's sort of euphemism for someone in the house of Pharaoh, a female in the house of Pharaoh, it's, it's not quite clear. It might be said both ways. All right, let's pick up at verse 11. 
One day after Joseph had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have, been, must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. There a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the, fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Shall I keep going? Yeah, let's go through the end of the chapter. Okay, when the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Mm. So early on, you know, we often draw this out, the story of Moses in some ways. Um, we get a glimpse. It's only really a brief glimpse of this story before um, everything comes to be. But it's a, uh, you, you can almost tell it's going to be a redemption tale. Um, he's a murderer and it's known, right? Um, does it say whether he knew or didn't know? He was a Hebrew. It doesn't say. It doesn't say directly. Um, I think it's implied that he knows, right? So it's not as if it's, he, he, it, it mentions it as one of his kinfolk. Now that's narration, but I think that there is some relationship that he obviously is aware of, I think, I think. But it's not quite clear. Um, so, Again, nothing about him being, you know, son of Pharaoh like that. Obviously, he, he murders an Egyptian, and the Pharaoh is going to kill him for it. So, um, he winds up in the land of Midian, and what kind of family does he marry into? Hebrew. Hmm? Hebrew, I think. No. They're, they're just a different religion. So, this oh. is interesting. Um they're in the land of Midian. God's people are all in Egypt at this point. Okay. Um, but it's a priestly family still of this other. Maybe maybe they're God fearing, but they're not. They're not Hebrew. They're not Israelites. So, but.
but he marries into this family and uh, where does his story start to parallel the other people and events that we've seen throughout Genesis here? He marries one of the daughters. Okay, he marries he marries a daughter, so she's outside of the again, this isn't a thing yet. But we've talked about this before. What's gonna be a prohibition? Marrying outside of marrying foreign wives, right? So but Moses is not Moses is married to a foreign wife. And where is Moses living? He's in, he's at yeah yeah um, so we talked a lot about in Genesis those two big promises land, land people, people land people so we're still not in the land yet he's and he's living as a foreign alien in a in a foreign country he says which is exactly what Joseph did at times Abraham did at times the Israelites are all doing right now in Egypt. So he's very connected to this story. He's outside of where he's supposed to be. Um, but God knows where he is and watching. God knows where he is, but is God involved yet with Moses? No. No. He's just finding, he's just examining what's happening to people in Egypt. To the Israelites. And what does it say God does? It's an interesting he remembers term. The God remembers. God remembers the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't think that necessarily means God forgot, but that there was there's clearly been a lapse, a pause, while the Israelites went down. I don't want to say God's been distracted with something else, but it's almost like, you know, this has been happening and, and the Israelites are now oppressed and God has to like They've been in Egypt so long, they are now Egyptian. Well, they're, they're, farmers. they're farmers. They're not they're Egyptian. Not, they're not keepers of sheep, per se. And yeah, they're laborers and farmers now, right? So they've, they've been come to a domesticated sort of agrarian situation. Um, but their relationship with God has been at least dormant. We, we can see that much. Um, God is directly involved throughout Genesis. But now we've had this lapse for a generation, two, three. It doesn't really say. We've had this lapse now. The people went down there. It was good. But then the new Pharaoh rises. And it takes a whole other new Pharaoh to rise up again until God remembers. Um, it doesn't really give us a an awareness of how long Moses is uh, in Midian either. I don't believe. So that's that's also left vague. It's long enough that he gets married and long enough that he has a son, so as little as 10 months or, or who knows, many, many years could be too. It does say during that long period. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't tell us anything, because a long period in the Bible could be <laughs> yeah. hundreds of years. That's right. I don't think it's quite that long, but yeah. Or more than a week. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
definitely more than a week. But what's interesting too about the, the turn is Moses' declaration that comes right before God remembering and hearing the groans of the people. That declaration about, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. So what can that mean? I've seen no evidence of God. Okay. I mean, he didn't say God's deserted me or left me behind, but he's... I think, I think you're right. He's picking up again on this connection with his people and his God for Moses' life. So I think there's kind of multiple meanings here. There's, I have been a, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land, talking about his present situation. He's, he's in Midian. He's taken a foreign wife. He's, he's in the, this family now too. That's a foreign land. I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. He grew up in Egypt as an Egyptian not with his kinfolk. He's been an alien in a foreign land. I think even third, you can extend it. This is almost a declaration for all of God's people. I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. It's almost voicing for all the Israelites that are in in Egypt right now. So it's, it's that remembrance of there's a place for us, there's a place for me to be, and I'm not there. And that's when it switches to now God hears the groans. Ah, now God remembers the covenant too. So I think I think he's I think it's a bigger statement than just I'm in Midian right now. Right. It's something I have been. It's his whole it's his whole life really. Right. There's been something off. He's not he and they are not supposed to be there. Right. We know this coming out of Genesis. So there's a different thing that's supposed to be going on. All right. Chapter three. Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I, that is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Okay. So, tasked with going back to Egypt, going to Pharaoh directly. Um, there's good news in that this is a new Pharaoh now. The last Pharaoh wanted to kill him, so that might not be as... He might be able to go back with a little less fear um, because that situation is, has changed. Um, let's see. Anything else from this first part of chapter 3 that stands out? Well, he seems very obedient to God. Yeah. And he doesn't look like God. And uh, that's one of the things that, that falls through. You don't look on the face of God. Mm-hmm. We do not do that. Yeah, and he clearly has... It's, it seems like Moses has some understanding of his, his family lineage, probably, because this is the way that God chooses to, to reveal himself and, and his relationship to Moses, right? I'm the God of your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So this is, um, this is known, and it's also establishing an important place, Horeb, the mountain of God. So, the, so there in the there in the land of Midian, there is a mountain where that is the mountain of God, which for Moses will continue to be the mountain of God. Holy things happen on mountains. Holy things happen on mountains. This is a. Um small and picky detail, but I just noticed he's, they're referring to his father-in-law being Jethro. Mm-hmm. But up here, the girls returned to Ruel, their father. Huh. Yeah, I did notice that too as I was reading. Let me look that up real quick, see if I can get an answer. Because it was the Ruel that gave them who gave his daughter to Moses. Unless he's taken other wives by now and he has one by another um, another man's daughter as his wife. But it doesn't tell us that. Hmm. It is... It's a question that's out there. So some say they're the same person. There's just a different name. Um, so I think the answer is there's no clear answer on it. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Hey, it's a Bible thing, right? It's a Bible thing. Sometimes that comes up. All right. Can someone take 13 through the end of the chapter? Okay. Big stuff coming up. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is my name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what you have been, have been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will hearken to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now we pray you, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all the wonders which I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give you, and I will give his people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and of her those who sojourn in your house, jewelry of silver and gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. Thus you shall despoil the Egyptians. Mm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And where does the golden, for the golden uh, calf come later? <laughs> Oh, my Hebrew is atrocious, but I'm going to try to put this up here. Okay, so Hebrew goes right to left. So this is the name of God spelled out. And you will see this oftentimes in... Uh, it's, it's sometimes in stained glass, it's in different church work. So these are four different letters. This is a letter. This is Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. Um, the, the most contemporary sort of English pronunciation of it is this. Yahweh. Yahweh. It was also rendered, particularly through Latin translations, um, because of the way that the sounds of the letters work differently. Jehovah. Or Jehovah. Um, because J's weren't necessarily J's back when they were first putting that portion of the Latin to the English and all that sort of stuff. But yod heh vah -he is, is what's found in the text. This thing that's translated as I am. Um, for the, the very particular name of God. So not a title, 
not a title. It's Tony. Like it's it's God's name, right? Name name. Almost everywhere else you will find um, a title of God or a way of getting around this. In in traditional um, Judaism, to be safe, they don't actually say this, even when it appears in the text. And you will find times reading through an English translation where you will see this difference in English. So you will find times where it says, the Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, and you will find times where it says the... All caps. All caps. When it says all caps, that's typically in the text where it says this yod heh vav -he. ah. And in Hebrew, when reading through, it will be pronounced Adonai. Uh -huh. um, if, you, if you've ever heard um, Jewish prayers in Hebrew, Barukata Adonai, um, sort of the, the, the peace of the, the Lord, the Lord. But it's, it's really usually, that means the Lord. So when you see it like this in English, um, if you're reading it straight through in Hebrew, you just say Adonai when that comes, even though Adonai would be both. But it's standing in for the name. Um, what's significant about about this moment? That's the first time he's saying that. Correct. It's, yes, it's the first. It's Sorry. the first revelation of this within um, within the Bible. Uh -huh. It is the revelation of God's name. So it is significant. What about um, what about the name itself? I am who I am. I am. I am who I am. I am, in a sense, meaning like I'm everything. I'm everything, right? It's a big name, but it, it's a it's a name. Um, we minimally have this. Closest we have that I can think of, because it's a little bit more of a. Uh, of a fragmented society still in the military, um, higher ranking officers will call junior officers by their first name. It's, it's like a tradition. Um, why? Because they're of less status. Yeah. Status. Yeah. Um, you're, our, you're our boy. We don't do this a lot anymore, right? Um, but I could easily see, you know, if we're having this gathering 50 years ago, Mrs. Boroff, Pastor Sally, that would just be the way, you know, there would right. be no Tony and Mary, right? Right. Um, so we've moved so far away from this. So part of it is a, is a ranking thing. The other part of it, what's the, oh, don't get it wrong, Pastor, third commandment? Not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Don't take the name of, is that third or is that the second? Uh-oh. I'm also looking over my confirmation students. I think we all need a refresher on this. I think second. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, what does that mean? Without, without respect, with disrespect. Okay, there's the disrespect thing we think of, right? Um, it's actually, it's so much more than that, but we just don't think in these terms anymore. If I know your name, if I know your name, I can bless and curse in it and use the power of your name to do it. Uh, right? right? When we think of, we don't even use that term the same, but we, so we talk about curse words, right? And they're just dirty words, but they're not actually curse words. 
all curse words used to be like, gee damn it, and, you know, people say Jesus Christ. That actually was an elongated thing of like, a curse on you. I'm cursing you with the name of God. So when it talks about don't take the, the name of the Lord God in vain, it means two things. It means don't say that God's doing things that God isn't telling you to do because you'll have, you carry God's power with that. But also, if I know your name, I can similarly bless or curse people with your name, or I can even do it to you if I know your name. So if I know you're married, I can, I sort of have a, a level of power and control over you because I know your name. So what's God doing here? Very significant. He's giving them power by telling them. A little them bit. Yeah, a little bit. Right? If God's name had stayed hidden and never revealed, they wouldn't have that sort of ability to use it, either against God or on behalf of God, when it shouldn't be used. So it's a, it's a very big deal that God reveals God's name. We just don't even think in these terms anymore. Right. But it would be like, because names also names are important. We also don't think about that anymore, right? Names had meaning. Why is he Moses? Because he's from the water. He's from the water. So it tells you something about the person. Right. You're going to make a judgment on that. He's from the family of the Levites. It matters tells you what he's going to do in a sense. You are almost you are almost prescribed and scripted to a lot of things in your life and how a lot of people are going to act with you based on your name. And also this idea of this blessings and curses that we just don't think in anymore. So I think too, too often we sort of, we really undervalue this moment and the, and the magnitude of it. Again, like I said, traditional Judaism, they still don't say the name of God lest they use the name of the Lord in vain. And it has to be more than just an idea of respect versus disrespect for that to matter. It's because there's, there's power in it, a power that we just don't ascribe to names anymore. Um, but those four letters you'll, you'll see. So it's Yod. So remember, right to left, that little comma in the air, Yod. Those are kind of your H's, hey, a V-ish, vav, hey. That's the name of God, as revealed in Exodus to Moses. I am, I am everything. I am what I am, I am who I am. Um, it's a big, this is a big moment, big moment. And it has brought Moses. Now wait, let me see where we are. Uh... God didn't, uh, did God show his backside yet? Or that's later? No, that's after all, that's way after all this. Um, but with, with the name of God and the conversation with God, Moses has drawn as close to God, really to anyone since, I think given that God has said God's name, anyone since Adam. Abraham got to talk to God, you know, Joseph got to interpret dreams, but this sort of very much closeness, um, Moses is clearly set apart already, very much so.
even in comparison to some of his most notable ancestors. So, big big deal with the name. Big deal with the name. Big deal. Big deal. All right. Um, so, um, I want to make sure I got, have this straight. So, yeah. the one with the all capitals is when in the scripture would have actually been using his name. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Okay. If it's, so, if it's just, so that Adonai in the Hebrew, that's Lord. So if it's just saying Adonai, we're just going to see it like this. But if it's a fill-in for the proper name of God, we're going to see the all capitals. Got it. But typically when it will be read, you would just seamlessly see that and also then say Adonai as you read so that you won't actually say the name of God. One of the other, yeah, we'll go a little bit into the Hebrew. One of the other strange things with um, the text is there was a time in Hebrew, oh, I don't want to get this backwards. Do they use the vowel text? You ever see those extra little accent marks, like the little dots and all these kinds? Yes. If you've ever seen Hebrew, that was the one that was, they don't use those anymore, right? I think it's they don't use those anymore. So some of the text came with those accent marks, but they didn't, they, they lost what their meaning was. And then they just slimmed it down to the letters. But then they don't exactly know how a lot of these things were really pronounced. They're all best guesses at this point. So even when they, they, they just kind of lost the, lost the ability to, uh, to know what those accents were. So they've just gone back to these major character letters. And they have a way of pronouncing things now, those that still use Hebrew, because Hebrew would become a dead language at some point. Um, but there's a way that they're used now for the pronunciation, but they don't know if they're really synced up right. So there were parts of Hebrew that have kind of been, I can guarantee you, they didn't, not everything's right if someone's, not right is not the right term, but not everything's the same if someone's speaking Hebrew now as compared to the Hebrew usage in the year 4000 BC. Um, but they know what the major character letters sounded like. So they go with that. Kind of like Old English. Yeah, exactly. That Old English language was lost too, of, of what it really probably truly sounded like, even though they still have the text from some of the old, old text. They just, they take their best guess at putting them together. All right, I think I'm gonna, I'm going to read the first part of chapter 4 here, and then we'll call it a day. Oh, one last thing. I, this is good, too. Um, God's introduction to Moses, when God first appears to him on the bush, um, and he gives him the ancestor spiel and tells him what he's going to do. And then he tells him to go back down to his, his kinsfolk in Egypt. He, gives, he tells Moses to basically give the same spiel. Go down there. He adds his name, but then he says, go down there. Tell them I'm the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he doubles up on that refrain. Um, it's just that extra point of emphasis. So it could have been left at one, but Moses continues the conversation. What am I going to tell him? Tell him what I just told you. Tell him I'm the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
Um, and then I'm going to give them the land of the Jebusites and the Hittites and that. So when there's that that repetition, it's always a point of emphasis, right? right? Driving it home. God said this twice in a very short amount of time. This is this. Um, I like going into this stuff. You can't tell. All right, chapter four. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it and it became a staff in his hand so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Third time, the God of your ancestors. Um, this is who I am. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or heed you, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. That's interesting because it was the snake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the snake remains a, so it's a powerful symbol. It's not just evil. Um, in fact, the snakes are not, the snake is not introduced as evil within the, uh, within the, the garden story. Not introduced. What does it say about the snake? He's going to crawl underground. Well, that's the, that's the, that's going to be the sentence. Either the craftiest or the shrewdest of all the creatures in the garden. Mm. So it's this, this, and there will be, there will be division, there will be enmity and hate between the, the offspring of Eve and the snake, right? But it's a, it is a creature of power. Um, more so than the other creatures. And it's like her, it's what she did that caused that sentence. The snake wasn't, didn't, it was her behavior that caused the separation. 
Well, but the snake plays a part in advancing the mistakes of Eve and Adam right. because of the snake's shrewdness and craftiness. Right. So right. the snake has a part in it too. Right. Um, but yeah, it becomes a snake, which is which is a sign of fear and power and and uh, craftiness and shrewdness. I just I love that. God has decided on Moses. It's going to be you, Moses. And Moses keeps protesting. Well, it can't be me. You know, I don't speak well and this and that. And he lets him go once with it. No, 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 I've chosen you. It gives him another No, 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 I've chosen you. Third time. Fine, you can take Aaron. You know what? Take your brother. I'm going to speak to you and you're going to speak to Aaron. And Aaron's going to... His anger was kindled against Moses. God got fed up with it. Didn't God didn't change his mind though, right? It's still gonna right. be I picked you. Stop whining. Stop whining, get out there. But both of the signs are signs of danger. Mm. You know, the snake is a, a danger. The snake's so if a danger. He throws down his rod, he's showing he has strength. If he puts his hand inside and comes out with um, leprosy. leprosy, that's really bad. And the water's gonna turn to turn to blood on the dry ground. It's it's all terrifying stuff. Um, this should get people's attention. But you, what's and there's a little bit of again these things are always sort of foreshadowing, connecting. Um, he's chosen. He's speaking with God at a burning bush. The God who is the God of his people who has just revealed his name to him, and he's given them, him this mission. And what's Moses do? Back out he argues with him. That's ah, not going to be me. Don't do it. No, no, no. Someone else. I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, Moses is going to go out with God's people into the wilderness. Clear instructions from God. Just liberated them from Egypt. We're getting ahead of ourselves. What are the people going to do? Well, They're going to whine and bicker and fight and do all these things, even though all this stuff is that. So Moses is going to get the... Uh, Moses is going to get the the tail end of this too. Right. He's gonna he's gonna get what he he's dishing out to. <laughs> what God. goes around. What goes around comes around, around right? Now, hear this for me now. Aaron, who is his brother. Yes. Is that his biological brother? Who is in Egypt, or is it somebody right there with him? So he takes Aaron with him to go to the sea of Jewish people. Well, the. Charleston version, that's his biological. He is very It's a good question yeah. though, right? Yeah, it is. It doesn't say that he has a does it say that he has a brother? No. Um I think because he's coming out to him, and because what of your brother Aaron the Levite? So it's his Moses is a Levite. So it is his brother. But somehow his brother's also gonna wander out into Midian and come find Moses, his brother. So they're 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 brothers. He probably he very possibly recruited him when he ran. Maybe he asked uh, Aaron to go with him. Maybe, but they, maybe, but they were also raised in different different homes. Aaron is raised as a Hebrew, it seems, and right. Moses was but raised I mean, he, uh, in this Egyptian house. So, all right, let's leave it there for the week. I love getting into these stories. They're so much fun. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from you. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, so we are halfway through four. Put my bookmarker there. All right, Gene, you have a wonderful week. Hope to see you again this Sunday, too. It was great to see you on Sunday.